welcome members, visitors, and friends. So happy to have you join us for this podcast and the church scene, where we discuss issues and insights on how the body and the members can interact in ways that promote spiritual, mental, emotional, and relational well-being. I am Dr. Monique Smith-Gatson, your host for this podcast. I am also a licensed clinician. However, this podcast is not intended to serve as therapy. We encourage you to engage in your own personal counseling. So come on in because the doors are open and take a seat on any pew you choose. We hope your time here will leave you declaring a hearty and resounding amen. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today. So we've had some awesome conversations with our fantastic guests over the last few weeks. And now I'm back and picking up our conversations on psychological abuse and how the church can be a refuge. Now, if you tuned into last week's episode, you do remember it was a replay on an episode that I had done previously on what does it mean to wait? Because I do believe like this week's conversation and right now, what I'm sensing is next week's and maybe in the weeks to come, but you know how those things change depending on how the Holy Spirit just directs us otherwise. But these conversations today and in the following weeks need to be rooted with this framework this discipline of waiting in mind. And if you um, didn't listen to the episode, you, you can go back and listen to it. And we reference Luke 24, 48 through 49, which I won't take a I won't take time to um read those verses now because that's why I went ahead and replayed that um episode. So we could have that as a as a framework and that could be a little bit fresher on our minds as we are talking about these conversations over the next couple of weeks. Um, so again, we're we're talking about these conversations being rooted in the discipline of waiting. We're talking about thinking about how the church can continue to explore how to be a refuge when that is referencing Psalm 46 and verse 1. And we're talking about for those who specifically have suffered psychological abuse. So that's where we have been. I think you can refer back to episodes like 126, 132, maybe to get an idea of this, this framework about psychological abuse and the church being a refuge. I've been talking about this topic since we've celebrated Pentecost. And that's because there has been no... A release for me. Like I, as I continue to talk about it, it continues to unfold more and more. And true to the phenomenologist within me, the qualitative researcher part within me, as things emerge, as we explore further, that sends us to different places to investigate further. So it, it's not necessarily surprising to me that I'm still here. I know some people may think, oh my gosh, like Pentecost was so long ago, we're preparing to enter Advent soon. <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't we move on? And maybe, and maybe not. But right now where I am, there are insights that are continuing to emerge for us to investigate 
and to consider and ponder. And I do believe that there are sometimes, and we're kind of, we're called to tarry. You know, it, it's so easy in this culture and this time to just like, oh, okay, we got it. Let's keep it moving. And, and it's harder, you know, to sit and meditate and ponder and find ourselves still with the same thought and with the same um, question, even months later. But I do believe when the Holy Spirit releases us, we definitely will know because we've known that right now we are to continue to sit and have conversation around this concept of the church being a refuge. Uh, what does it mean? What does it mean in this present age for us to be witnesses the church to be witnesses. I, I like I said, I discussed that way back. I think in episode one twenty six, where you know, what does it mean for us in this present age? If the power of the Holy Spirit has fallen upon us and we are to be witnesses, what does that mean for us now in this present age, this time in which we find ourselves now? And I think that there is, there is. Is urgent and it is also relevant for us to sit and have these conversations and to really think about this. I do believe the times that we are in, the times that are before us, and maybe that's with a prophetic voice and thought, um, there are some times ahead of us that I do believe that it is going to be the um, most imperative and urgent for us to prepare for now. And I do believe that in part, that means we need to prepare to think about what does it mean to be a witness for the for, for, for Jesus as the church, for Jesus, for Jesus as the church, okay, in this day and time. All right, so... I have also, this is kind of like a, just a review, a little overview of what where I've been over the last couple of episodes um, previous to us having our, our, our special guests with us the last couple of weeks. Um, I've mentioned about the church serving as this educational refuge from psychological abuse. We talked about Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge, he's our strength, he's a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And what does it mean like for the church to be this refuge, this source of strength? And again, kind of in the context of what I've been talking about, what does it mean to this be this source of strength in the context of those who are victims of psychological abuse? So today, what I want to briefly talk about is I want to share a bit of a conversation that I had with some graduate students a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about victims of abuse and how the church can handle or have probably mishandled would be more appropriate. Um, these precious people, these people who have been victims of psychological abuse. And so we were we were engaging this conversation. And the question was asked to me by one of the students, like, what do we do when the church or or Christ followers or or disciples or Christians, you know, however one may label him, her, themselves, and also how um the victims may 
may it may be communicated to the victim. So that's why I kind of <laughs> rattled off some different labels there. Point is, when the church or members of the body rush individuals toward forgiveness of the perpetrator of their abuse and their harm, like, you know, what do we do? So this was the question that was posed to me by one of the, the graduate students when we were engaging in this conversation. Now, before I give, what was my response? Uh, this is why I wanted us to think about these thoughts on waiting again. Because to be an effective witness, we need to be discipled. We need to be discipled. I, I, I stand on that 10 toes down. We need to be discipled on how to relate to those who have been hurt, to those who have been traumatized. And I, and I do believe that everyone should not be sent out to do the work of witnessing to people who have been hurt. I just don't believe that. Um, we, we all have been given different gifts, right? So I, I just don't believe that everybody should just be sent out to do the work of witnessing to those who have been hurt unless there has been some equipping to do that specific ministry. So- let me review some of the insights that I shared on that episode when I talked about waiting. I, I did say that we should, we have to be taught on how to handle people who have been hurt, how to relate to people who have been hurt. You know, if we think about it in the physical sense, I don't know what to do for someone who has a broken limb. I know if someone is bleeding, you know, to apply pressure. And I also know that if people are bleeding profusely, that requires like different means and, and things you can do. And even in that, you have to be very careful. And therefore, I don't feel like I would be adequate to attempt to try to administer those types of interventions. I also have like basic information on CPR, like what to do if someone stops breathing or if someone's heart stops beating, but I don't have any kind of training or equipping on how to do any types of heart procedures. And definitely like, I don't know what to do with a, a heart surgery. Like I'm, I'm not a, a heart surgeon, right? And so I think it's this, we have to think about this. Yes, we do the same way for those people who have emotional hurts because a safety and a security need to be felt. Relationships need to be developed. And there are some circumstances that we must, we must just acknowledge they are just not for us to work with. I mean, I have been in situations where people have been in physical distress. I do not run toward those um, circumstances. I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel as though I, am, I will be in the way for those who know what to do. So I understand that there are some things that I am not equipped to do, and therefore I do not put myself in those situations. And I think that that's the same way we have to think. We, we have to acknowledge that there are some situations that are not ours to work with. And I will say that, you know, even if it is emotional hurts, and even if we have endured the same circumstance, but if we have just attempted to like bandage 
our situation and we have used like makeshift ways to cope. And now hear me, I'm not being judgy because I do understand in some cases that was all that could be done in that moment. And I get it. And I also believe that if there are opportunities for us to say, I need to remove this makeshift and I need to look at doing something a little bit more permanent and something more sustainable, then I also think that that is our responsibility as well. Nevertheless, even if we have endured those same circumstances, it still may not necessarily be for us to minister in those particular situations. And we might need to allow others who are more equipped, those who have been trained or well-trained to work in those situations, which also kind of brings me right into what was my second point, my second insight about why we should we should wait because we also need to assess our own woundedness, our emotional wellness before we do this work with others. So many, uh, so many times we move into this work prematurely with other people and we haven't done our own work. And when we haven't done our own work, we put ourselves in a situation where we may overlook or minimize or deny or bypass the emotional wounds of other people. And that can be sometimes because we are uncomfortable with our own stuff. So again, as I said previously, it just, even if you've had that same circumstance, it still may not be yet time for you to be the person to minister in that situation, especially if you have not done a more comprehensive assessment of your own woundedness and your own emotional well-being. And then lastly, the last insight that I shared in that episode was that we do, we have to wait until the Holy Spirit allows um, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and guides us in truth. We have to allow them. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will have us to tarry, just like we've been doing with this kind of series, if you will. The Holy Spirit will have us to tarry because we have not yet been equipped with that power from on high. And sometimes that power might look like the Holy Spirit is saying the power that I want to give you may come through the form of being trained or being equipped on how to minister effectively, on how to be effective witnesses. And so if we have not done that work, we have not waited until the Holy Spirit has come upon us, we might be thinking we're edifying others, but we could inadvertently actually be tearing them down. And if we're doing that, we're not being effective witnesses of Jesus as the church. So that was just to kind of recap some of those insights that I shared from that particular episode about waiting. Now, last thing I want to say before I kind of get into what my response was to this student who asked me the question, what do we do when we are dealing with individuals and they are saying that the church is rushing them or kind of suggesting to them that they have to forgive the perpetrator of the abuse and the harm against them? I'm going to answer that, I promise you, real quickly. Now, 
I understand that there are principles in the scripture and there are verses such as Ephesians 4 and 32 that says in part to forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ or like a Matthew 6, 15 that says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. Now, I am not saying that these verses are not applicable even to victims because we are to abide, those of us who are followers of Christ, we are to abide by the entire counsel of scripture. Absolutely, yes. Yes, we are. We are to abide by the entire council of scripture. Yes. So I'm not suggesting that even victims are not sub subject to what the scriptures say. But what I want to talk about is when we look to Jesus, we are to be witnesses of Jesus as the church. And if we look to Jesus, when he first began his public ministry in Galilee, indeed he did preach the message to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is found in Matthew 4, 17. Now that particular um, verse and verses fulfilled the prophecy that was found in Isaiah 9, like verses 1 through 2. And it was talking about the people of darkness have seen a great light. And for those that were living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That was a foretelling of the Messiah to come. Because at that time, sin abounded. Israel was in a state of flux due to sin and being humiliated because of their sins. So there will one day be this Messiah who would bring peace and would be called the Wonderful Counselor, which happens to be kind of one of my favorite names um, for the Messiah. Um, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace will soon come. And he would also not only preach the good news of the kingdom, but kind of back to Matthew 4, Verses 23 through 24 talks about he preached the good news of the kingdom. He also healed disease and sickness among the people who were afflicted and who suffered various suffered from various diseases and those who suffered intense pains. Now that's Matthew 23. Matthew 4, 23 through 24, and I, I quoted that from, in part quoted it from the CSB version of the Bible. Some, translation, some translations will say torment. CSB uses the words intense pain. Now, I went in and kind of read that in the original language to kind of get definition to make sure that I understood that. But that also means um, the intense pain, and I was saying the, the torment, but that word literally means like severe mental suffering. That is a definition of torment, severe mental suffering. Okay, so when we think about victims of psychological abuse, they are indeed those who have suffered and are suffering severe 
mental sufferings. Yeah. Severe mental sufferings. They are tormented. So, my response, and this is what I pray, that through years of, of praying and being trained formally, <laughs> many graduate programs later, I have been trained clinically, you know, I've been trained in the integration of psychology and theology. I have now a lot of experiential um, wisdom that I hope has generated this really humble response to this question that has been asked. I've prayed and I have waited for the discernment to understand how to engage this practice myself and also how to equip others, these students who were before me, how to equip others. When we have to talk about this issue of forgiveness to those who have been abused, and I do believe that some of these principles can be applied to to all victims of all types of abuse, but you know, I really want to just kind of make sure I'm, I am speaking kind of specifically about those who have dealt with psychological abuse. I said to the students, one of my thoughts, one of my thoughts is, it is easier to preach the forgiveness of sins you know, there, there's that. That's the central message of the cross. We've sinned. We've been forgiven. And therefore, we should forgive others as we have been forgiven. And sometimes people, we have to forgive them um, because they don't know what they do. Sometimes we, we kind of get that message. You know, there's that posture that we have to forgive others because they, they very well may not know what they are doing or they don't understand so sometimes people will suggest that in some cases. Um, I have a whole lot of thoughts on that too. But again, I'm not going to go there, at least as of not right now. So it is easier to subject an individual to a redemption process, I believe, than it is for us to get into the murky and the miry of the suffering with those who are suffering. We don't get it. We don't want to get into the murky of suffering with those who are suffering. So it is easier, I believe, to, 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 to kind of go down this road of, you know, you need to forgive. As opposed to us considering the sufferings of another. Remember, I stated a little bit earlier, we need to establish the safety and the security via relationships with someone who is traumatized due to the abuse. And this takes time. I mean, there, there's just really no other way around it. It does, it takes time. And I also believe that we don't have to go around verbatimly preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. I think for us who are equipped and choose to be equipped in this 
in this in this work of being a therapeutic presence. I don't think we have to preach the kingdom is at hand. I think we embody that the kingdom of God is, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like the kingdom of God is here. Like it's here. Here I am. And the kingdom of heaven is here. And then I believe we recognize the torment. We recognize the intense pain. We recognize the suffering. We recognize the affliction. And we discern because we have been equipped and because we have waited on others to train us and because we have waited upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we discern and we recognize as the good Samaritan did in Luke 10 with compassion and in compassion, the good Samaritan shows us how to attend to the wounds of the person who has been victimized. Because that's what the Good Samaritan did. He attended to the wounds. He took the victim to the place to receive care. And he provided financial resources for that care. So I believe that in our waiting on the Holy Spirit to teach us how to how, to, to give us strategy as the church, how to be an effective witness. I believe that we can look to the Good Samaritan. I believe that this is the picture of how we can be an effective witness. In other words, we have someone that is in front of us who has endured intense and or prolonged suffering. So that means that literally the physiological processes within their body is in a state of dysregulation or dysfunction. Their interpersonal between people, neurobiology is skewed. Their survival instincts are stuck in place. So there is no relaxing. There is no just let it go. There is no just move beyond it. Because that is a physiological, that's a neurobiological process. So that means that there is a work. There is a process of healing that must be um, undergone. And it can be a long and arduous process. So with that being said, when we look at the, the Good Samaritan who attended to the wounds, who took the victim to the place to receive care, who provided financial resources um, for that care, when we look to the Good Samaritan, was there a theological statement on forgiveness given at that moment? No, there was not. There was compassion. And so my response is that we need to first and foremost attend to the wounds. We need to attend to the intense and the severe mental turmoil, the fear. We need to establish ourselves as a refuge 
We need to provide that safety and that security that is so desperately craved and needed. We need to begin the long and the loving process of being a corrective emotional experience for that individual. To be the light. To demonstrate the kingdom. And if they ask, why? Why are you doing this? How are you doing this? Then we should point the way to Jesus. If we lift him up, he says he will be the one to draw the ones to him who are hurting. He, he will draw those who are hurting unto himself. And as they learn of him and of his ways, then maybe, just maybe, during a season of watering, the, the, the seeds that were planted, uh, planted of healing in the season of sowing, perhaps where we were, we sowed seeds of healing. And as they continue to journey through life, and if they move into this season of being watered, maybe they will begin to walk in the journey of understanding forgiveness and what that actually means. And I am going to give you a spoiler alert that it is not the same thing as reconciliation. So let's cut that message out. <laughs> okay. Forgiveness and, and reconciliation are not one and the same. So my prayer is that when they're in this season of watering and as they are walking through this process of, of healing and perhaps along that healing or as part of that healing, they're learning of Jesus and they're learning of the ways of Jesus. And they're going to hear the message of forgiveness. And maybe they will start to understand forgiveness as Jesus intends it. But that will be beyond us. Maybe our season, our work is to be equipped to be the therapeutic presence, to attend to the wounds, to come alongside, to take them to the places of care and treatment and to provide resource, whatever that might look like. So in that case, when we see what the Good Samaritan has done, there was no theological statement on forgiveness that was preached at that time. There was compassion that said, you are hurting, you are wounded, you need to get to a place of care. And that is what I am going to do in this moment. So that was how our conversation unfolded a bit. And what I hope to talk about the next time we get together is when the students also spoke about this partiality that seems to be given to the perpetrators of abuse. Um, and again, kind of back to what I was saying, sometimes it's easier, even whether it's the victim or the perpetrator, to just speak this this um, blanket forgiveness of sins type of a message, this, this message of just being redeemed because you've come to the Lord. And we kind of, again, we kind of bypass and we skip over like the nuts, the bolts, the, the steps to be walked, the process that is 
because we get to this redemption and this forgiveness and we overlook and bypass all of the work that is usually involved in that. So Lord willing, next time I'll elaborate a little bit what my thoughts were on that from this conversation again that I had with these students. But for right now, I just want to remind you, this is why it's important for us to wait on the Holy Spirit. It is important for us to, to, to wait, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, especially when the work of the ministry involves working with individuals who are victims of psychological abuse. So what does it mean for the church to be the refuge? You have heard my call. What does it mean to wait for the church to be a refuge? What will be your response? And the church said.